I love Palm Sunday. I've always loved Palm Sunday. It seems to fly under the radar of the liturgical year. It's a little bit like a Cinderella story during NCAA's March Madness. No one's really talking about it, and all of a sudden you find them in the Elite Eight. Let's go Palm Sunday. I have the privilege on Sunday afternoon of preaching a version of this sermon to the faithful gathering of people at Freedom Village at 4 p.m. Freedom Village is a, is a retirement community here in West Michigan at the end of 7th Street and Columbia Avenue that butts up against Window on the Waterfront and Windmill Island. Every Sunday afternoon at 4, they gather together to sing the songs and to say the prayers and to hear the word. Because of the way COVID has wreaked its pain on our lives, they have not been able to worship together for 25 months. Can you imagine two years of not being together? And this afternoon, they get to gather again. Can you imagine the intensity of their prayers and the sound of their singing on Sunday afternoon? They asked me for a sermon title so that they could distribute it to the residents. I'm calling it Holiday Confusion and Gospel Hope. Since this Sunday afternoon will be a version of this sermon here, I thought you might like to know Holiday Confusion and gospel hope, and that might just get us to the table. Now, for the story you came to hear. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, to the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There, they gave a dinner for him. Martha served Lazarus sat next to Jesus at the table. Mary took a jar of costly perfume made of pure nard and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal from it what was put into it. Jesus said to him, leave her alone. She bought this perfume to keep for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor with you. You will not always have me. The crowd of the Jews learned that he was there and they came to him, but also to see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. The, the Jews, on account of him, intended to kill him as well because many Jews were deserting and believing in Jesus. And the next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival learned that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And Jesus found a donkey and sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Your king is coming to you, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when he was glorified, then they remembered what was written of him 
and done to him. The crowd who was there when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. Because of this sign, they came out to meet him. The Pharisees then said to one another, you see, you can do nothing. The whole world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's John chapter 12, verses 1 through 19. If you wanted to find it in a Bible with you or the smartphone on you, that's our Palm Sunday story with a few additional contextual details. Lazarus in his Bethany home with his sisters Mary and Martha. I wonder about the family dynamics around that table. Judas is there. The smell of perfume fills the house. And three times John repeats, whom he raised from the dead. Three times John announces about Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. Three times John shouts, whom he raised from the dead. And we will get after that next Sunday, Easter Sunday. We're going to raise the roof off of this place with our, with our Christ is risen shouts. And then during Easter Eastertide, at least for my part, we're going to dive into that Lazarus resurrection story. But for now, here on Palm Sunday, holiday confusion and gospel hope. Holiday confusion. Those palm branches, they've always sort of fascinated me. When I was a kid, uh, they'd, they'd hand us a palm branch on Palm Sunday, me and my Sunday school class of buddies, and they'd traipse us up in front of the church, and we'd wave the palms, and we'd sing Hosanna songs, and then after all of that excitement, they'd take us back into some back kids' room somewhere and expect us to behave, but my buddies and I, we just couldn't behave. We'd rip the leaves off of the palm branches, so we had little flexible sticks like whips, and we'd see who could leave that Sunday with a mark. I love Palm Sunday. It says... They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Palms were one of the four plants used in the annual celebration of the Jews called Sukkot, or the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, remembering when God, after he had delivered his people from the agony of slavery in Egypt, but before they, they were in the free-flowing waters of the promised land, they were stuck in the wilderness, but God took care of them in the wilderness. They built little huts, little booths, little tabernacles made of these four different kinds of plants, palms included. And so every year, annually, they would, they would celebrate Sukkot, God's provision of his people, preservation of his people in a really hard time, and they'd use palm branches to celebrate Sukkot. But about 200 years before Jesus lived, a man named Judas Maccabeus, and you might pay attention to that name, Judas Maccabeus took back Jerusalem from Antiochus Epiphanes, the Seleucid king, the pagan king that had taken Jerusalem and destroyed their temple, and Ju Judas Maccabeus took back Jerusalem and restored the temple to its rightful place of worshiping God. And every year, for 200 years before Jesus lived, they would celebrate Judas Maccabeus' restoration of Jerusalem and the temple. And you know what they called it? They called it Hanukkah. It's celebrated every year still, the eight-day festival near the time that Christians celebrate Christmas. And it's also called the Festival of Lights, which is kind of interesting. In John's gospel, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. And when Judas Maccabeus went into Jerusalem to take the throne, to become the king, people took palm branches and waved them in the air. 
So what do you think the crowd is doing on this day, what we, we call Palm Sunday now, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem and they start grabbing palm branches? But it's Passover. It's not Sukkot or Hanukkah. It's the Passover, the, 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 the annual celebration of the Jews, remembering God's deliverance of his people from Egypt. The, the lamb had been sacrificed and they took the blood of the lamb and they covered the doorposts of their houses and the angel of death passed over any house covered in blood, but any house not covered in the blood of the lamb, the firstborn child was taken. And this is how God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. It's called the Passover. So you've got Sukkot palm branches and Hanukkah inaugurations, but Passover season, all kinds of holiday confusion. It says the disciples did not understand these things at first. Of course they didn't understand these things. It was all kinds of confusing. N.T. Wright offers a helpful analogy. It'd be like one of us falling into a deep sleep that lasts, we'll just say, decades and decades. And one day you wake up and you see Christmas lights and Christmas trees and people singing Christmas carols. But then you look, you look at the dining room table and there's a, there's a turkey on it with mashed potatoes and gravy and those, that red fruit thing, yams or I don't know, whatever they are. I don't like them anyway. And then, you, and then you look out on the street and the kids are walking down dressed in all of these different kinds of costumes. And then you look in the back and they're asking for candy and you look in the backyard and you've got other kids holding baskets, searching after eggs. And it would, it would seem to you to be a strange dream. Each of those celebrations might make sense on their own, but all of them together? This month, if you're a kid at least, it's probably the best day of the year. Something gloriously new must be going on. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but, one of my favorite gospel words, but when Jesus was glorified, which is John's way of saying Jesus was crucified, then they remembered what was written of him and done to him. In Jesus Christ, all that God had been doing for so long, preserving his people in pain, delivering his people from agony, inaugurating a new way, all are realized now in Jesus Christ. It's all kinds of holiday confusion that's meant to change the world. God not acting in separate increments throughout time, but now acting fully in Jesus Christ. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but... When Jesus was glorified, then they remembered what was written of him and done to him. Now, very interesting to me. You've got Lazarus and Martha and Mary, Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead, John repeats three times, and Martha serving and Mary's anointing Jesus' feet with perfume and her hair, which would have been a scandalous scene. But we don't have any time to pay attention to those family dynamics because John has Judas interrupt the scene. Judas interrupting again. It says Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him. Judas Iscariot. Does that name now sound familiar to you? 200 years after Judas Maccabeus strolls into Jerusalem to take back Jerusalem from the pagan king and restore the temple, now Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot named after Judas Maccabeus. I don't actually know if he was named after him, but surely just hearing his name would connote images of the king who took back Jerusalem. It'd be like one of us naming our child Tiger and not thinking someone's gonna think Tiger Woods. This is just for fun. My name is Jonathan 
Paul Brown. Jonathan, after David's friend, Paul, after the apostle, and Brown, because we had no choice, and I'm called John Brown for short, which might be the most generic name in the history of humankind. One time I was filling out a social security form, and my name was the example. I know of at least three famous John Browns, and I'm not one of them. John Brown, the abolitionist, who has a university named after him, John Brown University, John Brown, the evangelist, who also has a university named after him, Brown University, and John Brown, the guy who had a kid with a cold. And my whole life, I heard that nursery rhyme on the playground. John Brown's baby has a cold upon his chest, cold upon his chest, cold upon... I'm not named after any of those John Browns, but simply hearing my name, people think of those others. Judas Iscariot, if not actually named after Judas Maccabeus, would at least connote Judas Maccabeus. And I wonder if Judas Iscariot isn't betraying Jesus, selling Jesus out to get him to do what Judas Maccabeus had done 190 years earlier. Take back Jerusalem by force. Take back the throne. Win, Jesus. Win, Jesus. Let's go. He's even willing to sell him out to make him do it. But Jesus doesn't go that way. That's not the way of this king. This is Passover. This is the celebration of the sacrificed lamb. Jesus Christ is the king of the universe who goes the way of the sacrificed lamb for us and for our salvation. We spend so much time scratching and clawing and fighting and arguing and yelling and trying to get our way. All the while, Jesus stands there saying, follow me. I lay down my life in order to take it up again. So maybe, just maybe, a few of us, like, I don't know, us, could go the way of Jesus. And here's what it will look like, if I can be so bold. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, If in any interaction you lay those words down and wonder which way you should go, reflect them. It's the way of Jesus who lays down his life in order to take it up again. All kinds of holiday confusion. Now a little gospel hope. If that wasn't hopeful enough, this Palm Sunday scene ends. The Pharisees then said to one another, you see... You can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. You can do nothing. The world has gone after him. The Pharisees, of course, use it as the final nail in the coffin to kill Jesus, and they did. They killed him. But John, always working multiple angles, is announcing the impending reality. You see, you can do nothing. The whole world has gone after him. You can betray him, and you can arrest him, and you can beat him, and you can mock him, and you can try him, and you can hang him, and you can deny him, and you can desert him, and you can bury him in the ground, but you cannot stop him. The whole world has gone after him. I love this great hymn, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun in its successive journeys run, or this great sermon by John Chrysostom, hell took a body and discovered God. It took earth and found heaven. You cannot stop him. If I can borrow a line from the ESPN analyst, Chris Berman, you can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him. You can't even contain him. The whole world has gone after him. 
When we lived out in Washington, uh, Oak Harbor is a Navy town, active sailors coming and going all the time, officers and enlisted in so many ways so different, but they all held at least one thing in common. They all always left. Whether they were deployed in the Gulf, not of Mexico, or stationed in Pensacola or San Diego or Guam or Japan, one thing was common. They all left. So, some others would come, of course, and replace them, but it was kind of discouraging as you, as you try to gather a community and shared mission and people just keep leaving. And so in those days, those moments when it was discouraging, the church staff out there and I, we had this little call and response we'd enjoy together. One of us would say, Christ is Lord, and the rest would respond in unison, the words Jesus gave to his disciples, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So I wondered if that little call and response might not make a little sense here in West Michigan too or wherever you are. Christ is Lord, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. In other words... You can do nothing. The whole world has gone after him. And our, our call, our posture, is participation in Christ's mission in the world. We, yes, we can acknowledge the sadness and the pain and the hurt and the devastation, anxieties on the rise and depression nipping at your heels and divi divisions dividing us and polarities polarizing us and all kinds of heartache and pain and sadness all over the world. We, we, I'm not trying to minimize those or ignore, ignore those, but I'm also suggesting that's not all that's real. That's not the only headline. There's nothing you can do. The whole world has gone after him is the true story of the whole world. And our participation is to get in on mission with Christ. To lay down our lives in order that they might be taken up again for the good of the whole world. This is why James Davison Hunter, in a book titled To Change the World, would write, to be Christian is to be obliged to engage the world, pursuing God's restorative purposes over all of life. And guess where James Davison Hunter will be on Monday night? right here at Pillar Church at 7 p.m. I'll see you there. Fleming Rutledge, the third greatest female preacher in American history behind pastors Jenna and Anna. When I say theologically mature, I mean just this. Formed by the Bible, proudly Trinitarian, grounded in justification by grace through faith, dedicated to the person of Jesus Christ, convinced of his incarnation as Son of God, recognizing his death on the cross as redemption from the sin of the whole world, boldly convinced of the truth of the resurrection, and here's the point, and committed to a worldwide mission of witness in Christ's name. And guess where Fleming Rutledge will be on Monday night at 7 p.m.? Right here at Pillar Church. I'll see you there. And Hunter and Rutledge will be here to celebrate with and engage our friend, Pillarite, Kristen D.D. Johnson, the academic dean at Western Theological Seminary, who will offer a lecture, and I got a sneak peek of it, in contrast to visions of the Christian life that focus entirely on an individual's relationship with God, this, ours, is a vision of deep communion with God that leads to active engagement with the creative world. Our calling as the people of God includes offering whatever power we have been given in service to God, others, and the created world more widely. And guess where Kristen will be on Monday night at seven? Right here, always inviting us into the deeper mission of God in the world. There's nothing you can do. The whole world has gone after him. 
Pain is real. Sadness sticks on our lives. I know, I know, but that's not all that's real. The Pharisees announced it as the final nail in the coffin and the sadness around the world wants us to think that's all that's real too. But John announces a different story and Jesus enacts the different story. Let's get in on it. There's nothing you can do. The whole world has gone after him. I got an email from a friend this week who got an email from a missionary friend, a missionary in Ukraine. Can you imagine being a missionary in Ukraine right now? I'm guessing plenty have left, but this missionary friend has remained. You've seen the devastation. You've seen the images of horror and brutality. I'm not going to show them to you now. I am going to show you one picture, though. The image of these missionary buses bombed out. They were delivering Bibles and food and water resources, and they've been destroyed. Here's a few snippets of the email. Thankfully, we're all safe here as the 39th day of war is almost over. All our societies, I'm sure many others in the world by now, was shaken with the images of what is now called the Bukha Massacre. This is not the last place on which we are yet to learn the terrible details of overwhelming brutality. The Baptist Bible Institute in Irpin is completely burned down. Evangelical Theological Seminary in Pushka, Voditsia, was raked with fire. To have almost one full day without sirens was very unusual, even worrying. And then it ends. Once again, thank you for your support, for your prayers, for remaining with us during this dark time. And let's continue praising the Lord for being our true shelter. Signed, Rostislav. How did that go? Let's continue praising the Lord. How did that end? Let's continue praising the Lord. Though the wrongs seem off so strong. God is the ruler yet. Let's continue praising the Lord. There's nothing you can do. The whole world has gone after him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So friends, wherever it is you find yourself today, beaten down by the pains and the aches and the anxieties of the world, lifted up by God's Spirit in your life, I invite you to a table today to celebrate the body of Christ given for you and the cup of Christ poured out for you. If you believe Jesus is Lord and you acknowledge him as Savior, you are welcome to participate. If you're not at that place in life or faith, if you got dragged into this online experience because it's Palm Sunday and the whole family had to be together, but you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, but you'd be willing maybe to have a conversation, I'd love to meet with you, you can find me at john, J-O-N, at pillarchurch.com. Come as you're ready.